So welcome to Runners on Trail, the trail running podcast by Midpack Runners. For Midpack Runners, I'm Thane. And I'm Anthony. And in this episode, we're going to talk about shoes. Which ones would you choose? Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. <sighs> it's had too long thinking about this episode during lockdown, eh? <laughs> this is Runners on Trail. Episode 26. So look, welcome back to Runners on Trail. We've owned a lot of shoes. I haven't owned as many shoes as Thane's owned. Thane has owned a ridiculous amount of shoes. The kind of shoes I've worn through um, ultra running over the last kind of four years totals 18, I think. Have you ever bought the same pair of shoes twice? Yes. Okay. I've I've bought the same shoe exactly and then a couple of upgrades of an existing shoe. But the fact that you've had 18 shoes over the course of four to five years shows you've either struggled to find one that satisfies you or you're just fickle and want the new thing every time it's been a struggle of finding the shoe that works for me so i've gone through a number of makes and i was very happy with uh salomon quite early on but they're quite narrow fit and i just wrecked my shoes so you can see when you look through my history that i've gone from one shoe manufacturer to another to another uh, in the search for something that that fits because let's face it you mean wreck your feet or wreck your shoes well yeah i know you've wrecked your shoes i've seen them but yes yes wreck my feet in particular my toenails um so i have quite wide feet i think i'm 2e and therefore that limits the choice down to to effectively what you can use well we'll get on we'll get on to all that sort of terminology in a minute won't we and Mm. that's the point i guess is that when you're trying to find a pair of shoes, there's lots of words and things that are used by the manufacturers in, a, in an attempt to help us. I'm absolutely convinced of that. But a lot of the time, if you don't understand them, all, and I'm sure I haven't understood them properly or the connotations of some of them, it makes it really difficult to understand what you're buying unless you try unless you try everything on, which isn't always possible because trail running shoes aren't stocked as well as road shoes are by most running shops then knowing exactly what you're going to buy, especially if you're buying over the internet, can be quite difficult. So we thought this episode was a great chance to talk about the different parts of shoes, how they might differ from shoe to shoe, and use some of those shoes that we've bought to provide examples. And then at the end, we'll tell you which are the best road and best trail shoes that we've owned from a personal perspective and why. Yeah, and you, you bang on about the... Uh the stockist and and what you can get in a shop i think most shoe manufacturers have upwards of at least 20 different kind of shoes uh, and that makes it difficult for um, shops to stock them most shops i've been into will will actually get them in for you to try and are quite happy to do it but typically when you go into a shop they might have half a dozen of a particular brand or so but that's the thing isn't it you know they might get a pair in for you a specific pair if you ask for them but the beauty most of the time when I go out to a running shop to buy running shoes, road shoes, I try on five or six different pairs to see which one fits and feels the best. And I, you know, run on a treadmill and I can tell by the time I've narrowed it down to which ones I buy, you know, and they are the most comfy pair to run in. And you, if you're just buying one pair, that's great. And they might feel OK in the shop, but you've got nothing to compare them to necessarily apart from your old pair of shoes, which are probably mm. well worn and therefore aren't at their best anyway. Mm. So 
I would normally be looking for a shoe for a particular race or upcoming race and want to learn the lessons of the shoes I've had previously. And that would narrow down my search based on some of the characteristics I think we'll probably run through. Okay, well, let's let's start then. Okay, well, shall we start with the thing furthest um, away from your foot, the outsole, and we'll work to the inside of the shoe. So things that would affect the outsole and things you might look for is is, is grip, which is um, provided by lugs normally on the bottom of the shoe and how they're shaped. Um, and then there's the kind of the stickiness, if you will, I guess, of the outsole. And, and then it's durability. I think those are probably the, the main characteristics would you agree yeah absolutely and you know those bits in a in a road shoe if we're talking from a road perspective can vary but nowhere near as much as they can in a trail shoe and i know they vary in a road shoe because i'm currently running in hoka carvus as my road shoe and they have literally no grip i mean they're absolutely fine on tarmac and hard surfaces but a second I step onto any sort of damp grass or mud, I am properly like Bambi on ice. <laughs> and if I compare those to my Sockney Swerves, which I've ran in for years, that had this sort of zigzag pattern on the bottom, I could happily run on grass and a little bit of mud and wouldn't even notice at all. But they were both road shoes. Whereas, well, from a trail perspective, the size of your lugs and, and the, the grip on the bottom varies enormously. Yeah, absolutely. You've got the kind of broad categories, haven't you? There's a kind of all-out road shoe. And then as you're stepping towards um, trail shoes, you've got the kind of crossover hybrid shoes, i.e. You're, you're the kind of running-to-work commute and having to run across the park on the way type shoe with a little bit of grip before you then get into the you know trail shoes kind of proper, going from things which are all right for dry, dusty kind of uh, trails all the way up to full-on mud. Uh, where you need something that looks more like a tractor wheel yeah i mean and, and the bottom line is that the, the muddier it's getting chances are the deeper the lugs you're getting but also the further apart they're spread on the shoe so that if they pick up mud it gets shaken off easily and you don't end up just literally walking around on a set of platform shoes like looking like you're a rock star <laughs> rock star from the early 70s <laughs> yeah you just come in from a bad day's gardening and you've brought half the garden in with you. And we've all been there running in shoes like that. And it does just feel like you've literally just attached a set of ankle weights on, which is never good in a race. So, you know, so if you're going out to, to buy a shoe, have a look at those. Have a think about those. Think about where you're going to run, what you're going to run on. But also durability is important as well. So Innovate, for example, have added graphene to some of their shoes. It's the hardest known substance. And the point on that is on their outsole is that it's just not going to wear out and look at the reviews. I think run repeat are a great review station, but the bottom line is that the harder surfaces you're running on, the more your shoe will abrade. So thinking about lugs a bit more, there's a lot to it in terms of there's the depth. As you say, there's the number and the spacing. There's also the shape, isn't it? There's quite a few which have different patterns of lugs on the forefoot compared to the heel and that's normally because when you're running uphill your forefront is on the ground and your heels off and then when you're running downhill your, your heels on and your, your your forefoot's off so um, quite often the, the, the lugs are shaped differently to try and gain maximum grip when you're in those two different modes 
how have you found durability generally speaking of the trail shoes that you've owned has the outsole outlasted the rest of the shoe i mean is it being the weakest bit is it something we think you should focus on a lot in terms of the durability aspect of the shoe so i think that for most shoes i've had the outsole has been really durable and has outlasted the rest of the shoe the only exception to that is the current pair i'm using which is the brooks caldera 3 where the outsole has gone first but i think there's reasons for that and we can get into those later on yeah see i would agree as well i would say that normally it's not the tread which makes me change the shoe it's it's some other aspect it started to fail on the upper or something like that it has it does happen on some of them and typically when you've got these kind of long races where there's quite a bit of road section and you've got a you've got a shoe which which doesn't have a, a known you know high level of durability and it just starts to wear down but it's a rare occasion that i'm changing a shoe because it's actually run out of grip so moving them from the outsole to the midsole and one of the elements that i think is most important when it comes to picking a shoe not because it has more influence necessarily on you on the other shoes but just because i think it's the bit where there's lots of comments or from manufacturers or lots of descriptive words from manufacturers that can cause you to think the shoe's going to be one thing when it's not you're quiet you, you yeah you're not sure where this, i'm going with this do you no well well i i always think when we're talking about this stuff that the the midsole it's the bit which is quite heavily advertised and normally is always of the same um type of advertisement which is five percent more return in this particular formula yeah and you would if you added all those um advantages up you'd think we'd be running on springs by now but it, <laughs> it normally doesn't really amount to much but you're right you know they talk about them being more cushioned and yet more responsive and things like that. And you think, well, as you say, we should be flying through marathons in hour and a half each by now. So the midsole, what is it? It's the bit that's between the outsole, that bit we've just talked about, and the insole inside your shoe. And it's going to provide the majority of the cushioning in your shoe. So what words are you going to hear used around the midsole? You're going to hear words like cushioning. But you're also going to hear words like responsiveness, meaning almost the exact opposite of cushioning, the ability of the shoe to respond instantly to what you want it to do when you pre- when you try and toe off and push away and run on your shoe, that it's going to spring away and you're not just going to foot, it's just going to sink into a big pile of foam. There's also flexibility as well, isn't there? Correct. Yeah, flexibility, because what else are you going to have in that part of the shoe? Well, you might have a rock plate if it's a trail shoe, and that's literally a plate that stops big hard objects punching up through the softer material of the midsole and pushing up into your foot and bruising your foot. Now, in my experience, and I think your experience saying as we've just discussed, actually, the midsole tends to be the area of my shoes where they tend to wear out first, in that they tend to effectively break down and that doesn't mean they're actually falling apart it just means that that cushioning starts to harden up a bit and the shoe runs just a bit i find that my, my head the word i always use is flatter mm. it just feels like i'm thumping down onto something especially with my road shoes yeah i, I find that the, the midsole is quite often the reason why i change the shoe 
I don't know whether it's psychological or 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 for real. And maybe I think there's a little bit of psychology to it. Um, when you've got an old pair of shoes, you kind of explain away the fact that they don't feel quite right, or you're not having a good time. Is is the fact that the midsole's probably gone? And quite often people talk about a kind of a cliff where it's got so many miles, isn't it? And then it just kind of drops away. Or yeah, um, you don't hear so much about having to run a shoe in as you used to. I think that's less of a thing mostly most shoes are kind of reasonably good out of the box in most cases these days that's been the my experience until my current pair of shoes the hoka carvus which i ran in i honestly think it took me about 250 miles to run them in blimey for that cushioning feel effectively to to to, to feel correct the difficulty i've found is the almost contradictory terms of cushioning and responsiveness when they're used in the same shoe. And my experience of this, I think, stems from the fact that I'm a mid to four foot striker. And I think when you see the term cushioning and responsiveness used in a shoe, you have to beware. Because I've bought shoes that have marketed themselves as being cushioned and I found them to be not cushioned at all. And I think the reason for that is that when they say they're cushioned and responsive, what actually they mean is that the heel area of the shoe is quite cushioned, thinking that most people heel strike, or a lot of people heel strike, but that the towing area, the forefoot, is actually fairly firm, allowing you to push off fast when you're running. Mm. And so it can be both cushioned as you sort of land on the foot, but also allow you to push off really hard and firm. Well, of course, if you're a mid to forefoot striker, all that you're hitting is firm. You're not using any of that cushioning that's in the heel. Yeah, that's a very good point. Your particular running style is going to dictate how that kind of shoe feels to you. Correct. And one of the other things which I always think that no one ever talks about in any review, which I find a little odd, is what your weight is. Yes. Because there can be a massive variation in people's weight who are running shoes, you know, up to maybe, you know, extreme cases like three times the weight that has to be taken into account and and no one says this is responsive for a heavier runner i think it is a factor and i think it's one of the reasons why i bang on about people going into specialist running shop because they will know that and they should only be giving you shoes that are appropriate for your weight the style in which you run has a big impact doesn't it on how you feel it i think i'm quite flat-footed i think and therefore, you can get shoes like Hoka's, which have got kind of quite thick stack heights. But I don't think I feel it. If I'm walking in Hoka's around, you know, I've put them on to go to the shops or something. Scandalous, I know. But I'm currently wear, wearing them, doing lots of painting at home and wearing my Hoka's. Is that because they make you taller? <laughs> yeah, get close to the ceiling by some hefty margin. Um, but they feel really comfortable and you can feel all the kind of the, the, the give in them. But then when you're running, I don't feel it. I think it's just because quite a lot of it is just kind of missing. I just kind of land on straight on the flat of the foot uh, and it doesn't give as much as if you kind of roll it. Yeah, which brings us on maybe, given the fact you talked about hokers maybe, to the next thing on our list, which I think is important when you're talking about the midsole. And that's the drop. So, so, so the drop is the difference between the stack heights, effectively the angle your foot's at and how much normally lower your forefoot is compared to your heel. So if you've got stack heights maybe at the at the back of the, under your heel of, say, 30 millimetres and under the front it's 20 millimetres, then you've got a drop of 10 millimetres in a straightforward example. Stack height being the addition of the outsole the midsole and the insole 
and typically it varies from being completely flat uh, so flat running shoe up to something which has maybe got 10 11 12 millimeters in kind of uh, more extreme cases and you you like a particular kind of range don't you well yeah so i've been dropping my drop over the years and i guess it comes from the fact that i for a few years did some barefoot running and i think it really helps me from an injury perspective since i've done that and it I've stopped getting injured and I switched from being a heel striker to a mid to forefoot striker by literally running in a pair of vibrant barefoot shoes. So there's no cushioning. There's nothing. It's literally two mil of rubber between your foot and the road. And of course, naturally as a human, your feet are zero drop. So it's a more natural style to run in, in that if you ever try and run in bare feet, you won't heel strike unless the ground is very soft, like on sand. So that's what I've done. But what I've found is that higher drop shoes, when they talk about cushioning and responsiveness, will have that sort of comment that I talked about earlier, where the cushioning tends to be in the heel and the forefoot tends to be fairly firm. The flatter the shoe, I've found, tends to lead to more cushioning up front in the mid and forefoot. So it's more comfortable for my style of running mm. to run in a lower drop shoe because they tend to have more cushioning if i go for a cushioned shoe up front yeah so that's one of the reasons i do it and the reason i've gone for the lower drop shoes is i then tend to naturally land more mid and forefoot and as i've said that's resulted in very few injuries for me yeah because i know in particular you've had a couple of occasions where you've changed the drop and it's taken a while also for your calf muscles normally to, to kind of get used to the drop yeah Well, that's it. I mean, if you think about just the dynamics of a leg, and if you think about someone wearing high heels as a a way is a really good example, you can imagine how short their calf muscle needs to be if you're in a high heel, because your heel's that much higher. As you stretch that heel down, which is effectively what you do when you go for a lower drop shoe, and if you just do it now, just push your heel down and lift your toes up, you can feel your calf stretching. And it makes a huge difference. When I first started running in barefoot shoes which effectively then was a a change from a 12 mil drop at that point to zero drop i could run maybe three miles and at that point my calves had got so tight they were like lumps of rock Mm. and it took years to get them to not be like that i've kind of changed in the kind of the drop aspect so i I got into salomon's quite uh early on i had some innovates originally uh which i had like for quite a few years before i was into you know long before we were podcasting and transvolcania but that was before lots of technology came out and and then when i really started to look into ultras and we started running i was very much into salomon's they've probably got drops of typically here between like six and and 10 11 millimeters um, and then I kind of moved from there um, into uh, ultras uh, for reasons of my uh, they were uh, the Salomons were generally run quite narrow, and I was having problems with my toes, toenails in particular. Um, so I ran into ultras, which got really wide, uh, and they're typically down. Uh, well, they're they're zero, aren't they? They're zero drop shoes. Yeah. And then I've decided to go back up, and I'm in kind of uh, topper athletics. I've had a number of at five, and then Hoka's around the five, uh, four, five, and and now <laughs> my last pair was an Innovates again, so I've gone round in a circle, and I can kind of interchange them without feeling too much on the calf. I don't know why that is. Maybe I'm not running fast enough. <laughs> 
Well, in theory, of course, if, if, if you're a mid to forefoot runner, in some ways drop should be irrelevant. If you just land in mid to forefoot and your heel's not hitting the ground, then it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Apart from the fact that if, you, if you're not careful, because of the large drop, your heel will inadvertently hit the ground first instead of your mid and forefoot. I'm not sure I notice the difference so much on the mm. trail as I do on the road. But it's something to look out for. And it's especially important, I think, to look out for in terms of the amount of cushioning you're going to get if you're a mid to forefoot runner. Yeah. What is interesting, I think, is that there are a lot more low drop shoes available nowadays than there were five years ago. Yeah, for sure. And there and there is a tend towards lower drop, but increasing the stack height. That's that's become obvious as well. That stack heights have gone up, and you've got manufacturers like Hoka who have driven that change. I think. Yeah. The interesting fact I find is is the one I've heard about marathon finishers and marathon runners in clubs, and the fact that since like the um 1980s to now you know back in the 80s or 70s 80s people were running basically in what we would call daps yeah like your kind of just general gym shoes so none none of the new technology whatsoever just something you'd have worn at school in the gymnasium they used to finish the marathons on average faster than people do today yeah um so for all the shoe technology people uh anecdotally don't seem to be running faster now i, I think you could say that well, more people are running and you know there's less you know people are getting into it earlier so maybe that's a factor but yeah i always find it interesting i think that was true and is true but the game changer now is the carbon plated mm. shoes like the Vaporfly, which are scientifically proven and lots of people have run much quicker times than they've ever run before using those shoes. And, you know, they said they reckon the carbon plate makes you about 4% quicker. Well, that would make me about 10 minutes quicker over a marathon, So, which is significant. But given the fact that you just mentioned it, talked about width of shoes and fit of shoes, why don't we now talk about the last yeah. Okay. So, Can I just add one more thing, if that's yeah. all right, just in cool. terms of the the type of material that's used in there? I'm not going to go into the different types of foam because, A, I don't know it that well, and, B, I just find it kind of largely irrelevant in my head. Yeah. But what people are doing quite a lot in shoes now is they're bonding different types of midsole material together to give you different kind of responsiveness or flex in different parts of the shoe yes. to give you more support. So quite often now you'll see um, when people are reviewing them, you find the manufacturers are putting kind of strips of a particular material around the edge or in the on the inside arch of your shoe to give different support. So it's quite interesting how they're kind of mixing it up. Um, and the other thing you mentioned was the rock plates. And there's that's that's a that's kind of thing in itself. I mean, we've chosen shoes before, haven't we? Because they definitely have a rock plate in and we definitely know we're going to need it in the shoe yeah and that's a kind of uh if you haven't got a rock plate and you're running in something that's not got much cushioning and you've got stones on the trail or sharp objects like roots and stuff you're gonna feel it if you haven't got a rock plate in it, the rock plate really helps you get that kind of that almost like puncturing feeling into your foot which can really bruise your foot i mean i've injured my foot for for weeks by running onto something really hard without much cushioning at all uh, it can be really quite painful can't it yeah and as I've gone on, because I've tended to go for increasing stack height overall, I've worried less and less about rock plate but on a personal perspective. That you know, there is a there's a bit here about stack height, and we haven't really talked about. It, I guess we should quickly that says that the taller your stack height, the less stable you are. You're like you can end up sort of like someone on a big set of platform hills. You can end up tottering over, and if you're running on technical trail especially downhill there is a increased chance potentially of rolling your ankle 
if you're on a high stacked shoe. So it's something really to bear in mind from that perspective. Mm. But I've found myself going to increasingly higher stack height. It's not ridiculously high. I'm still not running in big, thick Hoka trail shoes, and I don't think I ever would. But yeah, something to bear in mind. Yeah. And the, the, the rock plates as well, it, it's, um, if you've got a number of shoes, you probably have got rock plates in. Sometimes they're not um, particularly advertised or obvious um, that there's one in there. But they, they, can, they can be really flexible, can't they? I know certainly there's a, an interesting video online of the Innovate uh, kind of, and they talk about the whole shoe construction in really fine detail. And they bring out their rock plates and they look like skeletons that kind of go into your feet the rock plate at the back might be across the width of your heel but at the front it spreads out into the different toe shapes so each toe has got its own little protector plate in it uh, which is quite interesting and obviously you can't see it can you it's buried inside the shoe but it's quite interesting looking online you're a complete dweeb <laughs> <laughs> then again it says says the bloke who's running a podcast that's talking about shoes so there yeah, you yeah, go. yeah yeah okay so let's talk about the last now and for those who haven't heard that term before, because I suspect most people might have heard outsole, midsole, drop, but they might not have heard about the last. So the last is the 3D model that a manufacturer uses to build their shoe around. So effectively, it's a artificial foot that they use to design their shoe around. And of course, that's incredibly important because no two manufacturers use the same last they've all got their own last and of course there's for each manufacturer there's lots of different lasts because they'll have a different last for each different foot length and foot size and that's incredibly important because you've just mentioned the fact that you ran with salamons but they were really narrow and salamon are renowned for using a narrow last Mm. and some other factors are renowned for using a wider last and of course finding a manufacturer that uses a last that's similar in your shape to your feet is of course effectively the holy grail because (laughs) if you can find a a shoe that's been designed around your foot it's naturally going to be more comfortable to wear from a how it feels gripping onto your foot Mm. and and how it holds onto your foot when you're running clearly it won't affect the cushioning or the responsiveness or any of those bits that go under your foot yeah but what it does do is affect how your foot feels in the shoe and of course Different manufacturers, will. some of them use different width lasts as well and innovate famously, run widths one to five. Not in each shoe, but each shoe they bring out, they tell you what width it is on a width from one to five because they use different width lasts for different shoes in their range. Whereas some manufacturers will use exactly the same last for literally all of their shoes. I never knew those things were called lasts. So that's new. Uh, um and and is it literally a model of it's not a, it's not a cad model it's a physical model that they or it's both probably yeah so most of them will use some sort of physical last when they're designing their shoes they have to mm. so yeah no, that's exactly what happens but yes when it comes to actual manufacturing i suspect it's much more 3d cadded in terms of stuff but no though most of them will still have physical lasts that's interesting yeah and i know that the salomon have been advertising shoes haven't they in the last couple of years where it's kind of bespokely made for you um i don't know if they've stopped doing that or not now but um yeah i don't know i imagine that will become the norm being able to have choose a shoe and then choose a different kind of width fitting or a different kind of um, slightly different feel maybe you can increase the drop but uh, you know there'll be a couple of characteristics which you might be able to change i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if that becomes you know 
something over the next decade or so. I think you're right. I mean, I can't see why they, they, we're not at the point now where they can't do a 3D scan of your foot that gets then goes to the manufacturer and the construction of the shoe is adjusted to take into account the different shapes in your foot. Yeah, I mean, like, at a more basic level, what I can't understand is why shoe manufacturers don't say, right, um, you, you've got the option of three different types of outsole. You know, you, do you want slight grip, medium grip or mega grip? And, and no one does that. Uh, you know, if you find the right shoe, because this is what I find quite a frustration sometimes in trail running, is you find a shoe that you think, well, this fits to, you know, this, this is a good fit. I like the fact it's got a wide toe box. I like these particular characteristics. I like the drop. Oh, I've got to run in lots of mud. I'm doing, you know, arc of attrition or whatever it is. And you think, oh, I need something with a lot of grip. And all of a sudden, you, you know, the, your shoe choice has gone down to like, 10 percent of the of the arena of, of what you started with and in particular the really muddy stuff and you know you know uk where we mostly run is really you know notorious for thick mud you're really limiting your shoe choice down to very few and all of a sudden you can't get that wide toe box anymore and you've got to compromise yeah um i always find that i never find the right mix it's always there's always something that's wrong so there you go last you're not going to hear much talk about it my point is that most manufacturers tend to use the same lasts so if you find a manufacturer whose shoes fit you well the chances are other shoes in their range will fit you well there's a greater chance of that than if you switch to a different manufacturer Hmm. so the, the one thing we haven't talked about and we talked about earlier and of course the bit then that fits in a little bit with last in my head is insult because the insult that bit inside the shoe which which in nearly all shoes now is removable and you can take it out and clean it and if you haven't done that you really should take your insoles out on a regular basis and give them a a wash under the tap and clean out the all the grit and detritus that ends up collecting underneath them because it can make a hell of a difference to your run but insoles and i think you've kind of got had a bit of a, a history of doing stuff with your insoles much more than i have I've changed them out a couple of times because the insole that came with it, I didn't think was particularly good quality. And I went and bought, you know, you can buy them separately, yeah. can't you? Um, ones that have got a bit more cushioning or a bit more giving them. And you, you can pay more and you, you certainly notice it. You can get some some shoes where you take the insole out and you think, oh my God, that is that is like, you know, not a biscuit. But it's, it's really thin and it's, it's not really got any kind of give in it. It's, there's no, obviously, zero, next to zero technology and then you go to a shop and you might buy one uh, and, and spend like 20 quid on them but you've all of a sudden got this kind of like well i've just i've just now added to my shoe you know five millimeters or whatever it's extreme case but a number of millimeters of of extra um cushioning and it might also contour quite often people buy them because the contour of their foot is a bit different and they know that if if they can get these particular insoles it's going to fit their sh- foot more obviously there's an internal shape to the shoe as well um so the two have to kind of be compatible but it is it is something to think about yeah absolutely i mean so the point there is that the overall level of cushioning in your shoe is generated by everything that's under your foot from the outsole which will tend to not offer much cushioning at all through the midsole but also the insole as well and some manufacturers might put all of their cushioning into their midsole and just have a very thin insole and some of them might have the insole as part of the overall cushioning of the shoe and as you said you can change the insole to change either the way that it fits around your foot and a lot of people will go for custom insoles if they've got foot problems what i would say is if you're changing out the insole for a custom one 
bear in mind that that insole has been designed for that shoe. And again, around that last, that shape of foot. And of course, as soon as you change that, you're effectively changing the shape of the foot last by definition that the manufacturers use, you, you've changed it. Now, what does that mean? Well, it could mean if you put a thicker insole in, of course, your shoe will be tighter because your foot's going to be pushed further up into the upper, and we'll talk about the upper in a minute, mm. or further down if you've picked an insole that's not as thick as the one you've just put in there. Now, that could be good for you, but also it might not be good for you. So mm. bear in mind, if you try shoe on a shop and then think, oh, but I'll change the insole, yeah. it will fundamentally fit different once you've changed that insole. The other thing about cushioning I find is also the lugs on the outsole can affect the feel of the shoe in that I think if you get um, a particular luggy shoe, um, something like Speedgoats, I find that the outsoles actually provide more cushioning because even though they're rock solid or, you know, quite solid material, the fact that you've got a number of kind of like points of spikes when they hit the trail it kind of bends up into the shoe so i find that that actually adds cushioning as well perversely if you see what i mean no i think you're absolutely right so my my i've got a pair of Suckney koa soft terrain shoes big lugs really widely spaced and you and they're really deep and you think they'd be a nightmare to run on roads but they're really cushiony because as you said as i hit the road with the lugs the lugs just bend forward effectively providing extra cushioning yeah that is true yeah, I think it's where it bends up into the foot as well. If you if it's if you've got loads of cushioning but it's very flat and you're just landing on it, you know, when you push your thumb into a shoe, you're putting a point pressure on and you can see it bend and feel the bend. But when you just land across the whole of your foot, it just flaps down solidly. It doesn't give. Whereas that if you've got lugs, they do push up into you know into a, a, a smaller percentage of the shoe and i think that's got something to do as well as that kind of possible rolling effect it's, it definitely adds something but if you've not got enough cushioning in the four of your foot what you can end up doing then is, is finding you get little bruises where the lugs are pushing up into those individual elements of your foot so yeah it mm. funny old thing none of this is straightforward is it <laughs> because if it was we wouldn't have all had issues with it so it's a massive trade-off machine. <laughs> yes, it absolutely is, which is why I'll let you talk about the upper. So, yeah, the, the upper of the shoe is the bit that goes over the top of your foot, basically. So it normally connects into the midsole uh, and stitched in because your, your, your insole is obviously something that's removable. And the upper goes over over the top of your foot down to the other side and normally has things like welds in it, uh, which are kind of like um, fused in pieces of rubber stroke plastic, which attach things together and kind of provide the structure that you're running in almost like the scaffolding to keep it in place and then you'd have like bumpers normally around the heel or the toe especially in trail shoes to give protection and things so that that's the upper and it has lots of different characteristics is also the tongue is part of the upper isn't it with um, things like gusseted tongues and things like that so that's all part of the kind of the the upper part of the shoe yes as you've said people will hear terms like welded overlays which effectively just means a bit of plastic that's stuck onto the fabric of the outside of the shoe to either provide some structure or provide some protection. It sounds really cool, doesn't it? Welded overlays. <laughs> I'll have some of that. Yeah. And, and the material is quite different, isn't it? So you get um, things which are quite knitted and woven and really soft. I always remember my uh, Ultra Lone Peaks, um, or the Ultras generally, a really soft kind of fabric-y um, material. 
all the way up to something which has kind of really got quite a kind of a almost like a plasticky feel and certainly my Hoka Speed Goat ones were kind of like really quite extreme they provide a good level of protection but equally maybe not quite so much give um in them as well i mean my lone peaks i can basically roll up into a ball um can't do that with others and the big thing that that's going to affect you know more than anything else is the breathability Mm. on your foot so from a from a positive perspective a nice light weave mesh on the top of your foot is going to promote both breathability and also is going to help your foot dry out so if you're running through water it's going to drain fairly quickly and your socks should dry fairly quickly and that is a good thing mm. from a negative perspective for trail running the lighter and more open weave you have tends to contribute to detritus getting into your shoes and so there's a big trade-off there and most trail shoes i find tend to have a heavier gauge tighter weave on top than most road shoes yeah. for that reason i think but it's a trade-off i've got Sokonikoa sts that effectively the entire upper is like it's an entire welded overlay and once they've got water in them it's just like run, running with your foot in a bath for the rest of the day and and it's not good for your feet at all so there's a balance yeah i think we both agree that really the the kind of the Gore-Tex advertised shoes and stuff like that is is really not for a trail runner that might be someone who's going out for a a light walk and wants to keep their feet dry but realistically you've got a whopping great big hole in the top of the shoe where your foot goes in and if it's going to be wet on a trail it's going to find its way in so drainability is much better than than any kind of water tightness so I'm not bothered about water getting in the shoe I want to make sure it gets out certainly the ultras have kind of got drain holes in them and things like that and I think the top athletics do as well, actually, which are kind of quite neat in the fact that, okay, we'll offer you some of that protection from things getting in, but we'll give you definitely be able to get it out of the shoe. Yeah, I'd rather buy a pair of decent waterproof socks, which come a decent way up my leg and then have a shoe that drains. If your shoe drains quickly and well, you're much more likely to keep dryish feet. And that's mm. what I found important. And changing socks is easy. You know, on a longer race, having a couple of pairs of socks and changing them over as you go isn't that much of a nightmare, I don't think. But you're right. Gore-Tex, yeah, it's just not for me. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things to think about in your upper when we've talked about mesh density and thickness and things is just how durable those uppers are going to be. So in a trail shoe, we've said they tend to be thicker, but I've tended to find most of my uppers have tended to get tears and holes in them over the time that I've owned the shoe and run in them. So just beware of the durability of a lighter upper on a trail shoe because for me along with the midsoles collapsing out it's been the uppers that have sort of just worn out and i guess it's just the the situations you put them in by you know bashing them over tree roots and through brambles and them getting caught on things and snagged which you don't tend to do with a road shoe yeah and it tends to be in my experience where your toes bend up isn't it it's that bit between the normal part of the foot and, and the bit what's that called the ball of the foot um yeah where it kind of bends up it's normally around there where it the crumple zone where it has to, has to compress and bend um that's the bit which tends to go so the gusted tongues and things like that that's um the tongue being part of that kind of upper structure and now traditionally in shoes you're tongue would be attached at the front down by your forefoot and come up under the laces but more and more and i particularly noticed this in the speed crosses the salmon speed crosses which i uh, originally got like 
six years or so ago um, have this gusseted tongue where it actually is quite a stretchy material and the tongue reaches around the inside of the shoe down to the midsole so it's almost like putting a glove on and to to, to this day my salomon speed crosses are the most comfortable shoes to actually put on my feet and i've seen people at work wear them in the office i mean they don't run in them <laughs> it's like an extra sock isn't it almost mm. it's almost like you're putting your foot in a sock when you put your foot into the yeah. shoe because the tongue literally molds holds all the way around your foot like really comfortable um, when it's done and it helps keep stuff out of the shoe definitely helps keep detritus out of your shoe or outside of your foot structure anyway even if it's inside this true it's shoe it's not um next to your foot necessarily yeah now very quickly i just like to talk about gaiters only because clearly they're not a part of a shoe but quite a lot of people will run in gaiters and others things that fit around your shoe and then go part way up your leg purposefully to try and keep detritus out of your shoe and some shoes come with what are called gaiter traps or built-in things to, so you can fit gaiters to the shoes really really easily my current brooks ones are fitted with gaiter traps so if you're that's something you want to do and want to wear of course worth bearing in mind when you're buying your shoes how easily those gaiters fit onto the upper and with the upper is built to take gaiters another thing that's part of the upper or or, or of, of that section of the shoe is kind of the heel structure isn't it and obviously there's there's normally quite a substantial piece of kind of normally plastic in the shoe to fit your heel your heel cup i think it's called isn't it yeah and how it cups your your heel and how it grips your heel and holds you down so that when you run and one of the things to test when you do a sort of trying out a shoe especially you're on a treadmill it's just trying to tell if there's any lifting of your heel away from the shoe as you're running whether it's literally popping up and down or whether it's held tight into that heel section of the shoe Mm. and i've had problem before on spine winter one i had the ultra olympus ones and some reason they've got quite a high heel counter and it cut into the back of my achilles i ended up with tendonitis and that's when all my problems um, a couple of years ago kind of started compounding on each other and it, it took months to go we did talk about toe boxes a little bit earlier but i think it's worth just making another reference to it now in that the toe box at the front of your shoe the bit where your toes go some manufacturers are clearly very focused on giving you a more splayed toe structure people like ultra who talk about this you know a toe-shaped toe box or a foot-shaped shoe than other manufacturers and let's say Solomon just because they're so narrow we find them at the front and if you want that more splayed toe feel in your shoes and certainly if you're running in more ultra distance races that's ultra distance not ultra distance (laughs) races then you're going to find that your forefoot is going to swell width wise and therefore space in your toe box is going to be important and for both of us we've both found I know um that a wider toe box suits us. Yeah. Even though I'm not sure my feet are that wide, but the fourth, my forefoot is wide. Yeah. So I think that's the other bit to think about as well. You know, feet aren't a uniform width, you know, in ratios from heel to toe. And so when people talk about wider feet and having wider feet, I think, well, it, some people mean they've got a wider forefoot, but that doesn't necessarily mean you've got a wide foot overall. And if you buy a wide shoe, you'll find it doesn't grip you in the midfoot or in the heel sometimes, although it gives you that wider bit in the toe. So it's important that, as I've said, that you think about the last that a manufacturer is using for any specific shoe because it is important, especially when it comes to things like toe box and feet swelling, because that's how you end up losing toenails and getting 
rubbing and blisters and yeah. bunions and all the things that we've managed to get over the years. I found it's become much more of an issue as I've gone further into my kind of trail running ultra career. And t- typically, I think it's the same for a lot of people in that you start off doing shorter runs. And as you get more confidence, you end up doing longer and longer and longer runs. And typically, the longer the run, if, if it is narrow, then you're more likely to get blisters. You're more likely to get problems because you're in the shoe for longer. Also, your foot's going to swell through the race. And also, you're going to get more and more foot splay. And the longer you've been running, the more likely it is that your your foot's going to naturally just spread out that little bit. So I think the longer you've been ultra running, the more you're going to tend towards a, a, a wider forefoot than when you first started, when it probably wasn't even a consideration. I think the one thing about trail shoes that's worth bearing in mind is that because you're running on uneven terrain, you do need the shoe to grip your foot tighter than it does in a road shoe. And I think that's one of the reasons that trail shoes can tend to feel narrow is that manufacturers have designed them to hold tightly to your foot so that you don't roll in your shoe and you're able to grip and it stays with you and therefore you can cope with the terrain better so i think there is a little bit where we just have to cope with Mm. a slightly tighter shoe when you're running on a trail than you do when you're running on the road it's just the uh for me personally the toe damage has been quite extreme i mean i've i've had literally uh it's taken years to sort out one of my toes and it's only just fixed itself i had um you get black toenail and it dies and then eventually the new toenail undergrows it and pushes it off well i had three toenails on one toe <laughs> it was like a set of waves going up my my large toe my right foot and it and they were kind of like like fossilized you know you get that fossilized wood it was like it's like that kind of fossilized because they just weren't moving anywhere it was just like completely crumpled up and eventually they grew out but it took literally took years they say they, you know you're an ultra runner when you've never got as many toenails as you've got toes yeah uh, with all the lockdown and everything else at the moment, I think it's the first time I've actually not been in the process of losing a toenail in years. <laughs> <laughs> so let's very quickly talk about laces. The bottom line is you can either have what we would think of as a conventional lace, something you're going to tie, or quick laces like many people have seen those on the Solomon shoes, where literally you pull a sort of toggle and it tightens your laces up. I think I can speak for both of us when I say that in our experience, the Solomon lacing system with the toggle and the, the quick laces is absolutely awesome and we both absolutely love it and would love more manufacturers to use it on more shoes i have literally nothing bad to say about it no works fast um spreads the pressure around very easily that garage at the top where you shove it away it's just the best there's nothing else meets it in my mind so that's one thing for you to look at on your shoes is either a lace locker or um, a lace garage Um, And that's somewhere where you can tuck your laces, whether they're quick laces or laces that you tie once you've tied them a little bit of sort of stretchy fabric. And that stops them getting caught on things, helps them not become undone. And that can be really useful on a pair of shoes. There is an endless debate about round laces versus flat laces. I, I think general opinion is that flat laces tend to stay tied better than round laces do. Now, the last bit to talk about with laces and it's something that if someone hadn't shown me, I'd never have known, is about doing the the loop over bit at the top of your shoes. So if you have seen the tops of your shoes where the lace holes go right at the top, there's normally two holes that are really close together. And I'm not even going to describe how you do this now. Go on the internet and have a look if you haven't done it. But you can lace your shoes in a certain way that when you put them on, when you then pull them tight, 
it helps cinch the shoe around your foot. Now, some people hate this, but I find it was an absolute game changer in holding my heel into the heel area of the shoe. And I, and I would never not use it. Yeah, it's usually that extra set of holes, isn't it, which go further than the ones that it's normally done up in the shop. You'll find these extra holes further back. But yeah. there is a particular way you've got to lace them, and it's not obvious, and not many people tend to know. Yeah, So, but if you look it up on the internet, you will find people doing it. That's a freebie, look. We did... It's <laughs> a freebie <laughs> for everyone in every shoe. Yeah. So, look, that, that that's the elements of a shoe. And I think... That broadly from what we've said from that and hopefully what you've got from that is that the big takeout from me from talking about all those elements of the shoe is that if you're going to run on a road running on a road is pretty much the same all the time it might vary in slightly in, in the type of tarmac but that's not really gonna make a huge difference and it might vary in the level of moistness that you're running on but in my experience if you're just running on roads that doesn't make a huge difference and therefore for me you're going to have one pair of road training shoes that you may also race in, but you might have a separate pair of race shoes if you're buying a pair like Vaporflies, which aren't that durable, but want, you want that extra speed for races. But when it comes to trail races, if you're going to do a variety of trail races over a variety of train, both technical and not technical, groomed trails, non-groomed trails, mud, hard pack, road to trail, one pair of shoes just isn't going to cut it. Because one pair of shoes cannot cover all of those different scenarios. Yeah, you're just going to have a, ver- a large variation of shoe, aren't you? It, it just is. It's, it's, it's going to be like that, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, and especially the, the longer distances that trail runs tend to come in. You don't tend to find many road ultras. And that, that adds that extra dimension as well in terms of cushioning and stuff that you might need. Yeah, there's just way too many more variables. There's so many more variables involved, isn't there? You know, yeah six times the amount of variables as you get when you're just running on the road so when the person in your life says you've got too many trail shoes you can point them back at this podcast to tell them that they're wrong and um you need lots of different pairs of trail shoes yeah i've got um looking at my list of like 18 shoes here um and obviously a number of them are retired probably about 10 of them so i've got eight i've got three kind of current ones hoka clifton six for road hoka speedgoat four wide and then uh, recently purchased innovate x talon ultra 260 but then i've got a number of what i've called sleeping pairs you know pairs that i'm not going to get rid of because there'll be a race when i go oh, you know what i want that salomon sense pro 2 you know transvolcania type shoe because that's a particular type of um uh terrain that requires that you know fits really well all the speed crosses if it's a kind of a shorter race even though it's a bit of narrower but you want something mega grip and comfortable for like 20 miles or something which you can kind of you can bear with the narrowness a bit easier yeah and you and you'll find that with all your shoes it's that you, you might find a pair of shoes that you cope with those bits that you don't like because they're so good in every other way and certainly the salomon sense ride that i had for me was almost perfect but it was just that little bit too narrow and i stuck with it for ages because of just how comfy it was how great the grip was how wonderful my foot felt in it mostly but it was in the end it was just too narrow in the forefoot and i just ended up getting blisters Mm. and rubbing in my forefoot in anything i did of any decent length and i had to get rid of them but it was gutting because everything else was almost perfect yeah another top 
tip maybe something to try if you've not come across them is in gingy socks so the toed socks so if you are getting blisters around your toes uh, these are like gloved socks that you can wear and you can get them as i think thinner liners and go inside other socks as well but they can make a big difference but there again it's another thing that's going to make your foot a little bit wider at the front as well so it's it's, it's always a trade-off but I think socks are really important. You know, we haven't talked about socks here, but it's it's all something mm. that's whole. It's all around your foot, and it has to be part. It's part of the setup in the same way as, uh, you know, when when you go camping, people you think, oh, I've got to have a really lovely warm sleeping bag. Yeah, but you've got to have a good warm sleeping pad as well. It's all that spots between you and the ground. It's all part of your sleep system. So in terms, you know, in terms of trail running, your sock is part of your foot system, the same as your shoe is as well. Um, I think that's really important. So do we want to do a quick rundown of some of our highlight shoes? Okay, so I in the last five years I've only run in four road shoes anyway, and without a doubt the favourites. Although I wouldn't go back to them. <laughs> well, it's weird, isn't it? But so my favourites were my Suckany Swerves, which weren't that expensive. The grip on them was really good for road and also onto light trail. Although they weren't designed for that, they were designed purely as a road shoe. Cushioning was fantastic, and then what I ran the Thames Path hundred mile race back in twenty eighteen. Now, the reason I wouldn't go back to them is they're an eight mil drop Mm. and I am trying to run on the road in a similar drop that I run on the trail. So that's why I wouldn't go back to them. But without doubt, they've been the best road shoe for me. Now, in trail terms, goodness me, you know, what what could I look at? Well, I bought Innovate Rock Lights for my very first trail shoe. Brilliantly grippy, fantastic up on the fells, but no padding at all. And I also bought a size eight rather than eight and a half. I tended to buy half a size larger for my trail shoes now and uh, they were just too tight as i've said i had the trail talons for transalcania but i had a bit of heel movement in those that ended up calling causing if you remember my entire heel pad to fall oh, off yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah that wasn't a pleasant experience the salmon sense rise were amazing but too narrow i then bought suckney trail calibers which would which were advertised as this wonderfully cushioned but responsive shoe and that's what taught me that if you're landing forefoot that actually all the cushioning in the world in the heel makes absolutely no difference at all. And they just felt like I was running on rocks. I then ran an Innovate Parklaws for ages. Mm. And they were okay, pretty good at everything, but not brilliant at anything either. The Koa STs, the soft terrains, were fine for the, uh, some niche runs, but they're not good for everything. I then bought some on-cloud ventures because I was running in on-cloud oh, yes, flows. Yes. With the clouds, And they were all right. But again, they, they were clearly not the shoe. You know, there was clearly, I knew there had to be something better out there. They didn't feel that great. And I'm currently running in Brooks Caldera 3s, and they are awesome. And I love them. Okay. Absolutely love them. The only disadvantage to them is the lug depth isn't that big. And I've worn these, the outsole out on these. The, the lugs at the front have literally worn flat to the outsole. Yeah. But I've done lots of miles in them over some fairly gnarly terrain and i've done a lot of road to trail running in them yeah there's a lot of road road mileage in those shoes now okay that's interesting isn't it it's just something we've not mentioned um it's that shoe manufacturers certainly over the last five years in particular but you know you've definitely had road shoe manufacturers and trail shoe manufacturers and trail shoe manufacturers never made really road shoes to start with uh, and they were catering for a totally different market and obviously the trail manufacturers have been have always kind of they started earlier, didn't they, making road shoes? Ah, now, now you say that. I know I had I had another pair of road shoes. I had a pair of Innovates. I remember now. And they were absolutely awful. 
<laughs> yeah and this comes back to something you've said quite a lot you know when we've been discussing this um is is that if you want a good road shoe go to normally a road shoe manufacturer and if you want a good trail shoe start with a trail shoe manufacturer correct and and, and typically they tend to be weaker in the discipline they're not focusing on which makes sense but now you're seeing as you say with the brooks you're seeing a road manufacturer kick out some really good trail shoes because it's become more yeah. popular and therefore it's become a viable market for them so for, how about how about from you then from your perspective your your shoe highlights yeah so um i had innovate rock light 275s i think they were um years and years ago but it's practically the only thing you could ever buy but we're going back like 10 years salmon speed cross three i was in for a long time they were really comfortable i absolutely love the shoe i thought i wouldn't wear anything else until my toenails started falling off all over the place then progressed through speed goats that i rolled version one which i rolled my ankles in then i was into my um my salamons went back to those and i had quite a few of them i had sonic pros sonic pro twos which i did transvolcania in mantra threes i did loads of training in it's a road shoe um sense pro max um cotswolds world century thames path but ended up getting lots of blisters in those speed cross fours then i thought right i need a wider toe box i then went through my ultra phase of lone peak 3.5s torrin 3.5s for road and olympus threes but it just didn't quite work for me uh, and then i thought right the, the the real thing is the topo athletic which is a bit of a crossover between an ultra and a kind of salomon type shoe uh, and it's got a wide toe box but it's got a bit more structure a bit of drop to it and stuff and they've been quite good and i thought ah oh, right the ultra venture that's the one for me and it's just not quite had the durability or the lugs they're just not deep enough for normal british trails and then i've gone back to hokers and i've got um clifton sixes for road current road shoe and painting shoe uh, and speed goat four wides because uh, yeah as you say that's that's a manufacturer that's doing a specific wide one in a particular type of shoe which is good and now i've gone back right to where i began i've got some innovate uh, xtel and ultra 260s which were going to be for arc which just got cancelled um yeah, it was supposed to be last weekend um so i need something with a hell of a lot of grip and i think if you need something with a lot of grip your your choices are quite limited aren't they you're in some normally in an extreme salomon or you're in one of the innovates and most of the innovates being designed in the lake district have got mega grip on them and that shoe is really highly rated though i mean i'm, I'm interested to see how it works for you but they are incredibly highly rated yeah so fingers crossed i still feel i'm in search for the right shoes though after five years you know i don't think i've cracked it i i think i'm still not there isn't a shoe manufacturer is making the right thing for me i mean don't get me wrong i wouldn't run in the brooks if i was going to run in the lakes and do sort of a bob graham round you wouldn't i wouldn't be running in those the grip's just not right for them you know but for what i'm doing mostly it works so there you go that's shoes i hope you found it useful and that it maybe has taken some of the mystery out some of the terms that you'll have heard from shoe manufacturers especially as there's loads of new shoes coming out now and it's quite an exciting time in shoe development with the carbon plated shoes coming out for road and stuff and i expect we'll see some of that crossing over into trail shoes too it's been a good experience as well going back through the history of the shoes i've personally i've had and and writing it down in fact i'd recommend that to people actually if you're doing it for a while um just take some notes and look back at what you've previously owned it's quite interesting to see how things have changed over time well i think it can really help you to try and decide exactly what you liked about each shoe and then trying to find that shoe that covers the bits that you liked about each shoes and maybe finds that perfect shoe for you yeah i've remembered shoes which i'd forgotten about which i did lots of running in looking back at you know strava and stuff and i think oh maybe i should get another pair of those well it's interesting you know you went you've got you've kind of flipped backwards and forwards it'd be interesting to see mm. how that works out with you with the innovates i am interested to see anyway 
wherever you are i hope you're all well i hope you're all staying safe hope you're enjoying your running and don't forget enjoy the trails runners on trails